You're listening to The Mix on Civ Mix, hosted by Liz Benjamin and Joe Bonia. So welcome back to another episode of In The Mix with Civ Mix. It's our podcast. And we have a super lineup for you. First of all, we have one of our stellar, I would call her our premier contributor, Uh-oh. Sylvia Lewis. <laughs> Come on now. No, no, no she definitely cool. is. She definitely she is. is. Not only is she always holding it down, but she writes some stuff that really provokes people. And that is so interesting. And we'll get to that in a minute because I think the golf course situation is one for the ages and people are really on fire about that. And I have a serious opinion. So Uh-oh. of course, then Joe Bonilla is with us. He's a birthday boy. Joe Bonilla. Yeah, is it was my birthday five. week. I'm 30, oh, wait, no. 34. Don't pre-age me. <laughs> Life has already done that enough. I don't need you to do it too. Well, I have to say that Joe has become like this crazy cyclist because he doesn't have anything else to Thanks. do. Thanks. You know, and, and the words of Pat Fahey, when uh, I, I told her about this, she was like, oh, you become quite the outdoorsman, Joe, since all the I bars and that. restaurants are closed. I'm like, Thanks, Pat. Yeah, yeah you used to be a bar fly, but now you're actually all into I'm, your health. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So, you know, doing the cycling every day, bought a kayak, you know, so I'll be on Saratoga well, Lake. Well, over I have the, one of those. Maybe d- we can, like, hang out. Yes. Yeah, so, well, what will probably happen is you will kayak, and then seven hours later, I will kayak. And right, so we would have kayaked in the same stream. So, yeah. Sylvia, so this is kind of funny because Joe and I are constantly crossing paths, but virtually, so we never actually see each other. But yeah. Sylvia and I actually run into each other quite oh, a bit. Oh, that's, that's sweet. That's we sweet. do, because we, do. we have dogs. I don't have a dog. No, no you pla- need to get no, no plans of getting a dog. No, no. So I, I bring Henry to Capitol Hill. I have to say, I had never done this. It was Sylvia who introduced it to me. In fact, I think that the first time we went, it was freezing, and I wore a parka, and it was snowy. Is that right? <laughs> right. It's my job as an influencer, though, to bring you there. To the <laughs> <laughs> So I went and I was totally, she told me about it and I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's a golf course. I've been to a million golf courses, but I was blown away by how beautiful it is. It is. How do you, it's like Eden. What did you call it the other day? Paradise. Is that what you called it, Sylvia? I could have called it a jewel, a gem, paradise, Jeter's favorite place in the state of New York. I mean, there's a lot of things I could call it. It's a, it's a real asset. It's beautiful. Well, and to their credit, we do have to say that um, even when the course is open, they do allow folks to walk there prior to tea time and afterwards, correct? I believe that's the case. There's also a path, like a Whalen Trail or something, mayor, named after the former mayor, that who's a big dog guy. And uh, But I don't really know where that path is. Like, I don't think it, it says follow the blue line, but then I yeah. lose the blue line. It's faded. Yeah, it's not. I actually saw that the other day, too. So the thing is that the golf course, this is what Sylvia wrote about. The golf course is not open because, well, the city doesn't have any money. Now, ostensibly, the course could open and make it's free. No. How does it work? Is it? It's not free. You have to pay. It's not free. There, right? No, no there's 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 fees and then they're different for residents and for non-residents and if you want to do nine holes or 18 holes and weekend rates I think there's a lot of finessing with the pricing that's going on but what I from what I understand the pricing is kind of out of whack it's on the low side that most other um, golf courses in the area charge more than that 
Well, first of all, one might say that's not like, I think I ran into Jack McEnany there uh, during the pandemic because he, look, this place is, everybody goes there and it is a respite for people. It has been a saving grace for a lot of folks and their dogs. They, the dogs can run free. You must pick up after them. And I have to say, people, I'm sorry if you're angry at me for this, but please don't leave your poop bags just randomly just hanging around. It. It's not just enough to it, bag the poo and leave it there. You have to bag the poo and take it with you. That's how it works. Okay. And for those of us who really want this place to succeed in maybe a more of a mixed use way or where we can all sort of enjoy it together, it's really important that we maintain it and we um, do what we can as dog owners, you know, to clean up after ourselves. It's important. It's really important. But I ran into Jack Mack and he said something along the lines of that the back nine was really just for goats. Oh. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> the he back nine be, is for real. It, well, he may have meant that before they actually shaved it down because ah. they did that once upon a time. It was a while ago. But I just, you know, look, it's a, it's a real asset to the community. I think that there are some people now who would like it to remain open for walkers and bikers, which normally you're not actually technically supposed to bike on the golf course. Um, I know that maybe I'm throwing some folks under the bus proverbially, but um, it's, it's, it's controversial. It's a worthy debate to have because look, we are reimagining everything now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's time for us to have serious conversations that we can do in a respectful way. I, I don't, you know, we don't have to yell at each other necessarily. <laughs> Tell that to the lady on Twitter this morning because she is not liking me. <laughs> I know. No, I mean, I it's, it's tough on both sides because you have folks who, you know, want to keep it the way it is. And obviously during the winter, this is the way it is. You know, anybody who has a dog can do this. But, you know, you have folks who are, you know, golfers and you know golfing aficionados and they want the 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 course to be open but you know a lot of time you see them these folks they're not city residents yeah so well, yeah right. right so wait but sylvia sylvia and i actually debated this once while we were doing we might have done nine holes that day and not all 18 but i mean i do not live in albany i'll i'll say right now i am a Rensselaer resident and um i would be willing to pay a fee a reasonable fee to use that facility as a non-resident. I would not mind. I really wouldn't. Albany residents, I think they're taxpayers. It's a taxpayer funded facility. You should be able to use it for free. Um, the dog is hungry and he's stepping on his bowl. That's what you're hearing there, people. Sorry about that. Henry, you're, you're the worst. But um, I, I don't, I mean, look, I may get attacked for that, but I think that it is important that we have resources and we should support them. And I happen to be somebody who doesn't live in Albany. So if I want to use an Albany resource, I should support it. As a taxpayer, I don't even mind paying to use it to cross country ski in the winter or to walk there. Give me a parking sticker. I'll give you 20 right. bucks or whatever yeah, a year. So totally. that I'm recognized as a, as a resident. I mean, the bottom line is I, you know, I know that there are a lot of people that do not live in Albany that bring their dogs there but we can't bring our dogs from Albany to Bethlehem, say. We're not allowed to go to their dog That's park. Right. That's, That's not true. permitted. We can't yeah. go to their pool. They've got a town pool. We can't go there. They can come to Lincoln Park. I mean, right. it just seems like there should be some benefits to living in Albany besides, you know, ones we all appreciate with the urban setting and the history and the architecture, but also some practical ones like residential city resident discounts. 
Why don't we have something like that? Uh, And also look, and what I'm suggesting, I know that people are out there and they're like, but what if you can't afford it? And like, there's record high, yeah, there's record high unemployment. I got it. It should be a sliding scale. If you can afford it, pay. If you can't afford it, I don't want to keep anybody out of amenities. I think it's really important that everybody get outside. Vitamin D is good for you, by the way, and good for your respiratory health. We should all be outside getting as much vitamin D. Those UV rays. (laughs) But I don't, I, it's, um, I mean, and also it's important to me, I think, and Joe, you, you, you might weigh in on this and, and Sylvia, she's actually been with SIPMIC since the beginning, almost the very beginning. Yeah, which we're nearing now the one year mark. The one year anniversary, but that's a different conversation. We saved that conversation, but (laughs) I mean, we want to be a place where people can have, where it's a safe place to have conversations and float ideas and be able to discuss things in a respectful way. Sorry that people on Twitter don't have the ability to do that, but there are certain commanders in chief who are setting a bad example and not naming any names or anything. Um, you know, we have a lot of those commanders in chief around. But I guess the point is, it's part of what we hoped to create with this site was a place that, you know, we could talk about these sorts of things. So I really appreciate, Sylvia, you bringing that voice to the table. Thank you. Um- I like having a platform where I can kind of say whatever I want, which is something I enjoy doing. Um, and, I, and I think that, um, you know, my writing is being brought to people that I might not otherwise have been exposed to. And, you know, I did some work for all over Albany and this seems like the natural place with Civmics for me to have my stuff now. Yeah, it's a good opportunity for us to say that if you're interested in contributing, you should reach out, folks. If you're a writer or you've got something to say, please let us know. We're always Um, open to more folks. We are. We want more voices, a diversity of voices, a cacophony of voices. Ooh, look at that. I do do want to say, since we are, um, you know, podcasting and uh, right now, I want to just sort of kick off the lineup for this evening, which is really interesting. Um... And I'm not going to say Scott's last name because I'm going to murder it. Jarzombek. Thank you. He's yep. the head of the Albany Library. And <laughs> libraries are really so important. And they're such a significant contributor to the fabric of a really robust community. And so we talked to him a little bit about the role that the library is playing in the pandemic. It's not open, of course, but it is still lending things out in a virtual way. And then we also talked to Joe Masher, who's um, with Bowtie Cinemas, and we talked about how movie theaters are gonna come back. He thinks that they're actually poised to enter something of a golden age, which is kind of interesting, actually. Yeah. And um, you have to listen if you wanna hear what he says. What's interesting with Bowtie is that when I was finishing up undergrad, right before actually, I actually worked for Bowtie and Scarfling before that. So I've known Joe a long time. And the industry, of course, has seen a lot of different challenges, a lot of different mm-hmm. impact with, you know, of course, you know, personal, you know, entertainment devices, phones, everything else like that. But as we've seen with drive-in movie theaters, like the excitement that people are able to go watch something on the big screen. I mean, I think definitely poised to see some sort of a comeback. Yeah. And, I, and I'll just say this before we leave it and get and get to the interviews. But the, the reason why these two interviews, which don't seem to have anything in common necessarily, are so well connected is that 
in both cases, you had people for years say writing their obituaries. Libraries are dead. Libraries are dead. They're not useful anymore. Yep. And they're going to go the way of the dodo because of the internet or because of people aren't reading, because of e-readers or Kindles or computers or streaming or what have you. And they said the same thing about movie theaters. And you yep. know what? They're both still around. And they're both anchors and communities in every downtown corridor or urban center. A library Just is a- like the golf course. That's though, right. All the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bring it in full circle. You guys know I've been a librarian for 25 years, right? Yes, I totally yes. forgot. That's like my lead job. Bearing the lead, Liz. Bearing the lead I there. I totally forgot. Well, I mean, to me, she's just like a fabulous influencer, beautiful dog walker person. She's not necessarily just a librarian. <laughs> this is true. This is exactly. True. All right, all. Let's get to it. Thank you so much. Scott, thank you so much for joining us here in the mix. It's great to have you. Thank you, Liz. Um, so you are joining us from home, I think. Is that correct? I'm joining you from the uh, closet, which is my washroom. Wow. So, yes. It's the, best audio, <laughs> it's the best audio in the house, and I never know when there's going to be a child running through. So Right. Well, I guess that's not so terribly different from your regular job. That's true. That is very true. <laughs> It's been how long now? Have what? What was the date that things actually? Uh, you no, know, I don't remember. I think it was. That's a great question. Uh, it's been close to seventy-six days, I believe, hmm. um, since we shut down operations. It was a Friday. I can't even wrap my mind around March. Sometime in March when we closed down. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate though because when people are holed up in the way that they were, although things are starting to loosen now, um, they really need something to do and to distract them. And apparently a lot of people were reading. Yes, yes. And they still are because we're seeing uh, a significant increase in our ebook usage. And we added an additional service called Hoopla, which kind of provides audiobooks, uh, ebooks, and also video. And we've seen a dramatic increase in usage once we added that service. So people are still reading and they're still using our books to read. So that's, that's a positive thing. So to the, to the degree that you are going to be able to continue that, even when your physical location reopens, and we'll get into that in a second, do you think that that's like the future? I mean, is the future of the library going to be virtual? Look, we have been debating the future of the library for like decades now, yes. right? And people have said, the library's dead, you know, it's not happening, nobody wants to go there anymore, you don't need librarians, and you don't need reference, you don't need, and, and yet, somehow, you, you guys seem to persevere. You know, my entire career, uh, from when I started graduate school, was told by someone not to go to library school because I was going into a dead-end profession. Um, I've only seen, over the last 20 years, libraries grow in their importance in the community, and I would say... Uh, you know, before COVID, uh, before this epidemic, um, we were talking about doing more digital. We were doing a podcast. Uh, we were filming more things. We were doing more production of things. So um, I think for every industry, this is escalated uh, virtual service. Um, but I think this was always a direction we were going. It's just been, you know, it, it is now, well, right now, what all we're, pretty much all we're doing. Um, and I don't see it going away. Because, you know, even as we move through the phases and people feel more comfortable being in public spaces again, you know, there are people for the next year or two 
who aren't going to feel comfortable or may have health issues that they're still not coming out into the public as much. So we still need to provide those services to people. Well, right. But there, a library is so much more than just a receptacle of dead trees. I mean, let's just be clear, right? It is a community center. It is a hub. It is a gathering place. It is an exchange of ideas. And most importantly, in an economic downturn, to the degree that we have seen this one take shape, I mean, in the Great Depression, we didn't have the internet, right? But we have online job searches, and some people don't have internet service, and they rely on the library for that, and they rely on librarians to help them access information, and we've also seen people who have been trying to apply for a loan, for example, and that's also something that you have to do online. So that is a really important service that you provide beyond, you know, I don't know, whatever it is that you're lending these days, books, of course, obviously, and then eBooks and movies and CDs to the degree that you're doing that anymore. And, you know, that's the thing that I struggle with because that's what I'm passionate about in public libraries. So I always want to be clear with members of the public that, you know, we're going to get back there. We need to do it slowly and safely, but you know, the things that people loved about public libraries, they'll be back, you know, we will return to that. Um, but, you know, it's just got to be slow for the safety of patrons. It's got to be slow for the safety of our staff. And, you know, the, what this has brought about, I mean, this has shown a lot of inequality across mm. our society. But, I mean, if this has shown anything, it has shown how wide the digital divide is. And the digital divide has been something that my entire career I've kind of been dedicated to. I actually wrote my capstone paper in library school on the digital divide and started my career as, uh, as someone who ran a computer lab and did digital literacy instruction. So, you know, we have to be creative and we have to figure out as, a, as libraries, but also just as a society, um, you know, I always say libraries have been a great band-aid over a relatively, you know, an injury. Mm. Um, and, you know, that Band-Aid has been there and it's been doing a good job, but I think um, there really needs to be a discussion and maybe public library administration and leadership will drive it where we need to do more. And, you know, we are looking at partnerships. We have Wi-Fi in, in a few of our city parks and we leave our Wi-Fi and it's a strong enough signal that I drove past Pine Hills yesterday and there's two people outside the building socially distanced using the Wi-Fi. But we really have to start looking and figuring out ways to Exp expand that access and expand those hotspots across the city. So right now we're in discussion, I can't get too much into it, but a partnership with a rather uh, another regional organization that we hope that we're going to bring more Wi-Fi to areas of the city that currently don't have it. Do I think that's the answer? No. Um, do I think things are going to be difficult because our buildings are going to take a while to open up? Yes. So I think we really need to come together as a city and as a community and start talking about something like you know, municipal broadband or, mm. you know, treating broadband as, as a utility. Mm -hmm. um, I think that discussion needs to happen because, I mean, my wife is a digital native. I have spent my entire career doing digital instruction. We're still struggling with getting our kids schoolwork done. Oh, yeah. I can only imagine what it's like for parents who don't have the, the background in technology that, you know, my sons are lucky enough to have two parents what, that they have. What phase are you in? We are, we are still in pause. So even though the county um, libraries have kind of been left out of the discussion. Yeah. So if you go to any of the websites that you click on to find out where your industry's at, um, you know, 
we're not in any of those conversations. There's some confusion to where libraries should be. I've heard phase one, I've heard phase two, I've heard phase four. To be completely honest, uh, Albany Public Library has actually had, we, we had our closing plan in place um, in the beginning of March and we presented it to our board about six days before we actually closed. Uh-huh. Do you we, have an opening plan now too? And we started, as soon as that happened, we spent a week planning what we were gonna do virtually. And then once we had the staff in place to do the virtual programming and the work from home, then we turned around, we've probably been working on our continuation of service plan um, since the probably middle March. Well, um, it is good though. I mean, some developments, we're still learning about this virus oh, and we're absolutely. learning about it very quickly. So one development that was positive for you, I think, was the recent CDC guidance that indicated that, you know, maybe it doesn't actually transfer as easily as we thought on surfaces, which means that books might be safer than we thought they were at one and, point. You still and, have a lot of public surfaces in a library. I mean, yeah. And our bigger concern with touch points was surfaces for people to sit out with their laptops or yeah. our public computers. Yeah. Um, so there we are waiting. The library community has kind of slowly been doing the work. There's a group now, a national group now that's actually, they just did their literature review and they're going into, into the laboratory and doing tests on common surfaces that you find in the library and finding out, you know, it's not just about how long the virus can last because you could probably test the keyboards on some of our computers and find other viruses. Sure. Um, really how, how big the viral load is and whether or not there'll be a, a um, transmission point. That's mm -hmm. where our concern is. So well, well, before, before you go any further, I do want to ask you though, I mean, also the other thing that we've talked about for years regarding libraries, and this has been a personal point of contention for me, is that um, libraries have not been getting their full due legally from the state in terms of aid for quite some time. Yes, and now, <laughs> now it's getting smaller. Right. So to the degree that you might have to retrench, I mean, I don't want to use the C word, but, you know, if you have a significant funding cut, libraries are funded in different ways, right? I mean, people yes. vote themselves. If they're in a library district, they vote themselves a tax. And generally speaking, those districts do fairly well, but they tend to be in wealthier communities. And inner city libraries like Albany, you know, you're really beholden to the government to do to a large degree. Well, we're actually lucky. We're a school district library. So right. almost all of our money comes from our own, you know, in income through ta through property taxes. So we are, you know, we are very lucky to be of that model. And a significant amount of the state income uh, or state money goes to the library systems. We don't really see a significant amount of that money. Most of it comes from the taxpayers of Albany, but we are preparing ourselves for financial headwinds. It's going to come no matter what. I mean, we, we're not, you know, like every other municipal agency, we're not collecting any of that income that we, we rely on for that, you know, 10% margin of our money. Yep. Um, so, so there will, we're going to have some difficulties. We're lucky. We are a pretty well-run lean organization. And so, um, you know, while we're going to see some financial headwinds, I, I am hopeful that for the next 18 months, we'll be able to weather those financial headwinds without making significant cuts to our programs. Um, just because, you know, we're a very, we're, we're a financially responsible organization, but you don't know, there's no crystal ball. We're preparing ourselves for those things. But we, you know, we, we right now are in a much better, are in much better shape than most of our peers. Um, there's already libraries in the library system in the county that are cutting staff. 
cutting yeah. a considerable amount of the staff. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're prepared for that. My bigger concern is um, there through the CARES Act, there was a significant amount of money that went to the IMLS, the um, Institute of Museum and Library Studies. Yeah. New York State got about a, a, a few million dollars of that. None of that has trickled down to the frontline public libraries or small museums that are gonna to struggle to open, not so much because of funding, but because they're gonna significantly need to change how they operate. Yes, let me, so uh, before, there's so much that we could touch on, but I, I really wanna get this particular point too. I mean, one thing about a library that's great is that it's an equalizer and it has the ability to provide a lot of different services to people, but something that you've always had to struggle with in inner city facilities is also like an itinerant population for lack of a better term. Now, we're also talking about people who really are vulnerable and took it on the chin in terms of bearing the brunt of the this virus financially, you know, they were already at the, at the bottom of the ladder, but uh, you know, physically from a healthcare standpoint, you know, what are you gonna do about that? We right now, our hope is that we slowly phase services back in so people understand the necessity of wearing a mask mm -hmm. and social distancing. You know, we're not, I keep saying, we're not gonna flip a switch and the library is gonna be open again. And we're gonna use that opportunity and that time as we slowly move through our phases to kind of, um, you know, get people used to a new normal for public libraries. And I don't think, again, I wanna say, I don't think this is forever. Um, you know, all of the past pa pandemics did not last forever. And I do believe that in a few years, public libraries will go back to looking more like they did on the day that, you know, the few days, you know, the weeks before we closed. Mm. Uh, but there will definitely be a change in the new normal for public libraries for a significant amount of time. And we're going to do it slowly, one, because we need to make sure each step that we're taking is safe, but also just to kind of help educate the public. Um, when we closed, people were surprised. And, I, and one of the things that I said was, you know, we are the information providers for the public. We're, we're the information scientists or information professionals. And you promote information, not just through providing resources, but also through actions. And I believe that how the library acts going forward is going to be a lesson for people to take, um, take the guidelines that they're given seriously. And um, we're going to have to hold people accountable to that and people from, you know, all walks of life that we serve. Well, I think that we are going to need to check back with you uh, so we can figure out how things are going. But we are definitely big fans of libraries. I'm using the royal we. Joe could probably jump in and tell me that I was wrong, but I think that he probably won't. Joe, Joe has said some nice stuff about us, so no, I, okay, I think you can. I try from time to time. Yes. All right. Okay, good. So I think that you know you guys are doing some really significant and important work. And I am rooting for you. I think we are all rooting for you. And we look forward to hearing how things go in the future. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you, Liz. And thank you, Joe. Are you looking to reach a diverse audience? Advertise with CivMix today. Visit CivMix.com to learn more. Are you ready to rise and shine? Read up on the latest news and happenings taking place in your community each weekday morning on CivMix.com. Sign up to receive Rise and Shine in your inbox. CivMix, it's where it's at. Catch new episodes of The Mix each week exclusively on CivMix.com.
Joe Masher, thank you so much for being with us in the mix. It is lovely to have you. Thank you for having me. So uh, you have a very unique position in that you are representing an industry that I think is one that people miss sorely, but are also mm -hmm. super afraid to re-engage in. Would you agree yep. with that assessment? Uh, yeah, I don't know about super afraid, but certainly cautious, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, we're speaking in case people are not aware of the movies and yep. movie theaters. Um, just uh, tell us about some, not everyone may be aware of your footprint in the capital region. Would you sure. let us know about the details? Sure. Well, I'm the chief operating officer of Bowtie Cinemas, and in the capital region, we have theaters in downtown Schenectady, downtown Saratoga Springs, and in the Wilton Mall. Additionally, I'm the president of the National Association of Theater Owners of New York State. So you actually are kind of wearing two hats. You have like a trade association responsibility, and then you have your own professional responsibility. Yes, that's correct. Yep. So I guess I have to say, it was is it frustrating to you to see, you know, your colleagues, or maybe you would consider them competitors in the drive-in sector doing well at this moment? Uh, no, actually, it thrills me. I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, run a drive-in when I worked for Lowe's Theaters. Uh, I was in Binghamton, New York at the time. And I, I love drive-ins. I'm a big fan of them. I grew up in Troy, uh, going to the Hollywood, just a few miles from my house. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm thrilled that it's still there. Uh, the owner is a friend. And uh, I, I, I work very, very hard, um, along with our lobbyists, as my wearing my hat as native New York president, to uh, allow uh, to get drive-ins to be allowed to reopen in the state. So we were thrilled when the governor allowed that to happen. It is a nice throwback, kind of. Like, it puts us back into this... Thing where I mean I don't want to get too you know philosophical and like nostalgic I, and certainly nobody wants to get back to the 50s but <laughs> when, so many things that were happening in the 50s that we certainly don't want to revisit but this kind of return to family and like um, you know sort of old-fashioned much simpler time yeah yeah like absolutely you know, board games and people are doing puzzles and now they're going mm -hmm. to the drive-in and it's you know that part is really cool and they're cooking more they're making bread like me. Yep. yep. Yeah. Kind of crazy. New York State. New York State's actually very lucky because they're one of the few states that, even though the seasonality is short, uh, still has a good number of drive-ins. There are 28 open in the state right now, and that's uh, pretty good for the Northeast. At one time, I think the state had over 300. Well, who is the state that has the most drive-ins? Do you know that piece of trivia? I believe it's California or Texas, one of those two. Yeah, well, they've got good yeah. weather, I guess. Yeah, yeah, someplace that's got great weather. <laughs> so, but but a traditional movie theater, um, you know, in and I guess I, I really shouldn't characterize them that way because there are there are so many different variations. I mean, now you can have a full meal at a movie theater, uh, mm -hmm. a different sort of thing, and you know, and there are amazing seats in some movie theaters, whatever. But a traditional movie theater is in is that in phase four of the reopening? Is that what we're looking at? Uh, we don't know, actually. Um, you know, movie theaters have never been named into a specific phase, so we are, along with our lobbyists, uh, pushing heavily to ask the governor to allow us to open in phase three. Uh, we believe that we can safely reopen along with restaurants, um, and unlike uh, what were named in phase four, uh, were you know, larger entertainment venues such as sporting arenas and concert venues, um, you know, everybody's showing up at those venues all at once to enjoy one performance, where a movie theater with multiple auditoriums is bringing in a limited number of people at a time. Mm. And, you know, there's a science to creating different start times and watching end times as well. So you're not having crowds converge on the lobby. 
So we believe, and uh, obviously we know we can too, because we've opened in other states already, uh, we can safely uh, show movies, keep people distanced and keep them uh, you know, happy and having and, and, and have an enjoyable time with their friends and family. Well, it is also, I mean, there's definitely a science to it. Actually, I was on the CDC website the other day for a totally different matter. And I was looking up whether there's a formula and there actually is a square footage formula per human body in order to keep people six feet apart. It's like, there's actually like an X plus Y equals Z sort of a thing. It's, it's a little more complicated than that. But I mean, in these other states where you're seeing movie theaters successfully open, what does that look like? Every third seat, every fourth seat? It depends on the um, on the municipality, on the state, and whatever uh, you know regulations and legislation are imposed on the business. Uh, what we've done at Bowtie, our ticketing system is actually quite dynamic, and it's been reprogrammed. Um, and you know, again, we don't know what our capacity limits will be. But uh, for instance, if you wanted, all of our seating is going to be reserved from now on. And if you mm. wanted to go to a movie with your family of four, and you wanted to sit in seats row G, seats three, four, five, six, the system automatically would not sell the seats around you to keep a distance. Interesting. So, yeah. So it, you're coming with your social really well. group that you know <laughs> you've been sheltering with that, yep. so you could sit together. But then yes. people wouldn't be able to sit around you, per se. That's correct. Yep, that's correct. Well, actually, we were going to that um, reservation process anyway, weren't we? Wasn't mm -hmm. that the direction that, that the theater industry was going in? Yeah. Uh, you know, as, as theaters get remodeled with recliner chairs and, and more and more amenities, uh, the, the seating generally is reserved. When we opened our theater in downtown Saratoga, we went with all reserved seating, which was actually, I think, the first theater in the capital region to do that. And... Uh, the Northeast as a whole generally wasn't big on reserved seating until, you know, I'd say maybe the last five or six years. Mm -hmm. um, but when we reopen our other theaters, all will be reserved. So it'll be able to keep distancing around um, the parties that sit, you know, together. So, but what about, I guess, the other challenge is going to be um, sanitation, right? I mean, mm -hmm. in terms of disinfecting, I mean, you do have a lot of high touch surfaces. If I yep. sit in a seat and then somebody else comes and sits in a seat or we all go to the bathroom and we all want to have, you know, um, soda or popcorn or what have you, there's a lot going on there where people would be touching things in, well, with food and putting it in their mouth. Sure, sure. Um, you know, to alleviate everybody's concerns, we are adding extra staff that will do nothing but constantly sanitize, uh, frequently touch surfaces all throughout the day. Mm. And between each show, every seat that was occupied will be sanitized. As I said, we know which seats people sit in, so we'll sanitize each seat. And at the end of the night, our cleaning crews have been uh, reprogrammed, if you will. Our uh, prior mm -hmm. cleaning crews will come in and completely sanitize the entire building. So we were doing that anyway before. Um, you know, as, as a matter of good practice, but, uh, you know, we've really stepped up our game now and we'll have people constantly wiping down the ticketing kiosks, uh, the, the restrooms, et cetera. And speaking of restrooms, you know, we'll be using in the men's room, for instance, uh, we'll close off every other urinal um, mm. and in both bathrooms, ladies and men's will close off every other sink. Um, studies have shown so far that with partitions, we don't need to shut down every other partition in the ladies room for distancing or in the men's ah. room for that matter, because partitions serve as as you know, a barrier. Um, but the whole experience is going to change. Uh, we are, we already have a very good app, but you know, I encourage everybody to download it. Um, if you didn't already, you'll be able to purchase tickets and concessions before you even get to the theater on the app. 
And during this crisis, Bowtie, uh, through our app is and through our website also, are waiving any kind of ticketing fees. Normally, there's a dollar per ticket fee or $1.35 or something like that, but we're waiving those for the time being um, to encourage people to use it. That way there, you'll have a living ticket like uh, if, like when you board an airplane, you'll just yeah. be able to show your phone at the ticket taker. You'll avoid the box office. Um, you'll be able to pick up your food. It'll be ready for you right at the stand when you come in to show your phone and you'll be able to pick it up. As far as food goes, our uh, workers will be wearing masks and gloves. Uh, that'll be changed frequently and, of course, employ um, regular hand washing techniques like they've always done, only stepped up a little bit. Um, and if you order a hot food uh, item, like a, a order of chicken tenders and fries, it's going to come not, a, not in an open boat kind of thing like it used to, but it'll be in a covered, sealed container that is completely contactless. Once it hits the fryer and comes out, it'll be uh, only handled by tongs and then completely covered so no human hands will touch your food until you do. So Joe, I mean, writ large, are you concerned about the industry? I mean, we've seen uh, some uh, movies that are supposed to be in production are not in production, releases have been delayed. Uh, and then particularly there's a whole um, section of the industry that I don't know that we're, we're gonna have a lot of time to get into, but um, that's uh, the art industry, the art house or single yep. uh, screen cinemas or that show, I don't know, foreign films or, mm -hmm. and also let's not forget the capital region and New York writ large really um, had a, a pretty, it was going pretty well in terms of offering tax credits, which is a different story, but in, and getting people to film here. I mean, is that yep. all over? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think once that they can figure out protocols, how to do it safely, uh, film production, um, particularly, you know, in, in the city, there's a lot of studios uh, that, that have built sound stages, et cetera, will resume. And I, and I know that people are working on those, those uh, things. And as far as movie going uh, is concerned, you know, the releases that were supposed to come out basically have been delayed for three months. So once we can get open, you know, stuff will start coming out in July. Um, mm. You know, July 1st, there's a new studio called Solstice that has a movie called Unhinged starring Russell Crowe that was supposed to come out in October. Um, but A Quiet Place 2 that was supposed to come out a few months ago moved into their position. So they decided, you know what, we're going to see, you know, what's open on July 1st and take our chances and roll the dice. So, uh, huh. you know, we're, we're very happy uh, for them and, and very thrilled that they are taking that gamble. And uh, I think that, you know, people by and large are going to go to the movies and, and you know, safely and, and, and be able to check it out. And then our first big release will be July 17th. Warner Brothers is releasing Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Uh, followed right. the week after by Disney's Mulan. And then in August, you have Wonder Woman 84 um, and a bunch of other big releases. So, and, and all the stuff that was supposed to be coming out during this pandemic has been pushed into uh, the fall and winter and into spring of next year. So, you know, well, we're really- also, yeah, I would also sorry. imagine that you have like, because you have uh, summer where we're not actually, we know we don't have summer school, we may not have summer camps. We're not even sure where that's gonna be, end up. Um, large concerts have been canceled. We know that, uh, unfortunately, our friends at SPAC are not going to be able uh, to have their programming. So you might be the only game in town. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be good for you. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, I think it would be very good for us. And, you know, we're hoping that by getting open uh, soon, hopefully in phase three, and, you know, and I really want to thank Governor Cuomo for all of his consideration. As uh, the president of NATO of New York State, we have been um, very heavily lobbying um, to get uh, named into phase three and the governor and his team have been very receptive to our plans and we've uh, been engaged in a dialogue back and forth and are hoping to hear a decision uh, sometime in the next few weeks so we can start making plans to bring our staffs back, retrain them in all of our new procedures, mm. um, 
and and get uh, you know movie going back on track. Um, you know, hopefully when we open, we're going to be showing some classics and uh, some library titles for the for a few weeks until the big titles start coming out. We'll do it at a reduced price, and we hope that you know we will give people the opportunity to come and see that. Uh, they have a safe and pleasant experience at a theater and word will get out. And I'm, you know, I, I've been in the industry my whole life. I've, I've heard through the years, oh, television's going to kill movie theaters. The VCR's yeah, going to kill movie theaters. Yep. Cable's going to kill movie theaters. Yep. Streaming's going to kill movie theaters. Yep. Movie theaters are, are, are going to come back bigger and better than ever. And I, I think the industry has adapted so well over the years that uh, we, we have ensured our, our place into the, ensured and secured our place into the future. So I'm very, very, very um, enthused and encouraged about the future of movie going. Will there be? I mean, you you still see sort of, sort of these uh, old school standalone theaters. I'm thinking about like there's one in Rosendale, for example. Yeah, Scotia. Um, there's one in Scotia. There's one yep. in. Catskill, nope, Socrates has one, I think. Socrates has one, Cobleskill has an old single screen, yeah. Well, will um, they survive, do you think? Absolutely, I think that the smaller in-town theater, you know, the, the downtown kind of movie house is actually poised to, you know, to, to get more uh, of trust from an audience, more so than, you know, a gigantic megaplex in a mall, for instance, that, mm. you know, is, is employed by, you know, people that, you know, that are not heavily invested in their own business. I think, you know, the, the, the theaters you're talking about are owned by mom and pops by and large, and, you know, they're, they've got everything banking on it. So they're going to do everything they can to make sure people have an enjoyable time and, and do it safely. And I think that uh, those theaters are poised to have a bigger comeback than, you know, any of the bigger megaplexes right away. Well, they're also, they're local, right? So, you know, you, mm -hmm. you, you are only going to get you know, even at max in one of these theaters, you're just not going to get a crowd of whatever, 500, 1,000, no. have you, right? You're only going to no. get, and you can walk there, so you don't have to worry mm -hmm. about public transportation to the grid that, that people have that concern yep. um, in larger cities. So it, it's, uh, but, and and before, I, I don't, I don't want to run out of time here, but before I let you go, I do want to ask, you know, has it been sufficient in terms of, um, you know, the government stimulus response? Have movie theaters been able to avail themselves of that? Well, um, the National Association of Theater Owners has been lobbying in D.C. to get the terms more favorable for movie theaters. I know that uh, the PPP program, for instance, um, you know, wasn't really something that movie theaters could apply for because we can't bring our staffs back if we're not open. And there were right. deadlines on bringing staff back. And I know they're working on changing some of that. Um, they are, yeah. The, yeah. the Main Street loan program is probably a little more lucrative for, you know, those types of, for our types of businesses. But, you know, we haven't, uh, Bowtie itself hasn't explored any of that yet. Well, I know that, I mean, it's an interesting, and, and Joe and I will probably discuss this a little bit more, but it's a really interesting um, show that we've got for people today because we're talking about some, I don't know, some really like all American important staples of things that people think of when they think about being in the U.S. I mean, certainly cinema is, you know, European has, Europeans have it, the Asian communities have it, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that America has the market cornered, but America is Hollywood and America is movies and America is big technicolor. And so I think that it's really something that people are looking forward to. And, and certainly we're looking forward to talking to you again and seeing how things go. Sure. Anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
Catch new episodes of The Mix each week exclusively on civmix.com.